This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Z-Pack, welcome to the show. We are live today for an episode of Incident Report that is crucially important, and I'll tell you why, because we're talking about saving ourselves from the scut work, from the moral injury of having to click boxes, type up notes, and do all the busy work that's come with Health 2.0. We happen to connect with folks in the Bay Area and the Silicon Valley who've started a company that is designed to be like the Siri or the Alexa for frontline clinicians. The idea is that through voice and through artificial intelligence, they assist us so that we can focus on, heaven forbid, the patient in front of us, the human relationship. I'm super excited. We're going to dive into AI. We're going to dive into burnout. We're going to dive into technology and how instead of obstructing the human relationship, it might actually save it. And I'm here with the CEO and founder of a little company called Suki in Redwood City, his name is Puneet Sony. Welcome, Puneet, to the show. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. When I first heard your name, I thought it was a rap star, but now I know that you know, it's a lot more than that. A gangster's <laughs> life ain't easy. You understand that. It's uh, quite hard. You know, it's good to have a brother on the show. Yeah. You know what I mean? My parents keep telling me, my dad is like, you know, you better get some desis on the show. Yeah. Because you're always putting these white people on the show, and, uh, you know, I'm getting bored. I need to see somebody who's actually doing something interesting. Hopefully, I'll do something interesting and entertain your parents. I, oh, they're already entertained. I'll tell you. I can tell my dad's calling me right now. He's like, finally. One seek on the show. <laughs> exactly right. So back to what you're doing, because I think our audience cares deeply about this issue of what is the best way to describe this? It's like the measurement bureaucratic industrial complex of medicine. We spend two to three hours charting, you know, for every bit of time we spend with actual face-to-face -face patients. We went into this to actually take care of people. And you actually experienced this even as a patient or shadowing doctor, that, that we're so drowning and staring at screens that we cannot connect in the way that we know helps our patients. The electronic medical records, um, the regulatory apparatus, fear of malpractice, all these different things force us to stare at screens instead of patients. But you've done something that may actually change that. Maybe tell me, tell me how you got into this. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's fascinating. My experience in healthcare is all about 18 months, right? Before that, I used to be running mobile apps at Google and building all sorts of interesting games and social media stuff at, at, the, at Google. It's hey, a completely wait, wait, different gave, world. You gave that up for healthcare? That's horrible. Yeah, it's, it's a mistake. Sometimes yeah. <laughs> I think about it. But, uh, but you know, when, when, I, when I was shadowing doctors and uh, in health systems, one of the things that was just 
eye-opening for me. For you, it's obvious because, you know, you mentioned this is a, a long-standing problem. You get into a room, there's a patient sitting there, the patient's stressed. There's all sorts of comorbidities, in, intense, int important things to deal with. There's a social worker. There's all these things that in the system and situation I was in. And the person in the room who's the most distracted is the doctor, who's sitting there, back to the patient, putting stickies, remembering to make sure that they check on things and do that. And when I first saw that, um, it felt as if the only analogy I had was I'm in back in technology and I tell my VP of engineering that uh, for every line of code that your team writes, you have to write a line of comment. And if, um, if the code breaks, then I'll sue you and I'll pay you based on the number of comments you wrote. I mean, that's pretty much how we are, we're treating doctors who are probably the most important and professional class of uh, folks we have around us. I, so, you, you, know. you know, I've never, I've never thought of that analogy yeah. of how you would treat a coder. Yeah. Well, so, so, so what's interesting is you're a part of the problem in yeah. the sense that yeah. you're part, you come from the, the technological elite in the Silicon Valley, the same people that many physicians and frontline clinicians and nurses and pharmacists and dietitians will say, you're the ones who put us in this situation by building this unwieldy EMR that is not usable by human beings, maybe right. usable by engineers. Right. How, do you, how do you think about that? Um, I think there's a couple of different things. One of the first things we learn in Google or in other consumer-oriented companies is who's who's really who are you building for? Mm. So, so sure we have technology and we can talk about AI and we can talk about machine learning and also these interesting things. Uh, but who's your user? You know, when you build an e EMR system or you're building all the tech packs, integration, etc., who are you building it for? I think if you're building it for the doctor you would have a different point of view on what kind of technology to build. And so, yes, sure, we are a part of the problem. It may be because we lost sight of who we were building the product for, and we spent way too much time trying to figure out which regulatory checkbox do we have to fill so that we can get that billing and coding and other things done. You know, and, and I, so, just, I just pulled up the live stream so I could look at comments, and, you know, it's just like Josh Whitmire says, we need patient-centered care, not insurance-centered care. Now, insurance is just a, a way, it's a one boogeyman you can blame. But yeah. like you said, who are you building the product for? Yeah. If you're if you're trying to please the regulators and the billers and those kind of things, you're going to build the product the way it's been built. Yeah. But what if you actually paid attention to the frontline user? Yes. And and the end product is the patient. Yes. So we we're evangelists about that on the show. That's why when we connected, I was like, yes, yes, come on the show because what what you do, and I, I want to talk about what you do first, and then we can back into some of the other stuff because I want I don't for people who are just watching the beginning, I don't want them to miss this because. When I saw the demo of your product, which is called Suki, yeah. and the reason you call it Suki, it seems, is because you talk to it that way. You say, hey, yeah. Suki, mm -hmm. just like Siri or Alexa or something mm -hmm. like that. Hey, Suki, the way you use it, it's a, you know, mobile device based, it's a software thing, so there's no hardware really, mm -hmm. but you basically ask it to do stuff mm -hmm. in your workflow, mm -hmm. and it actually goes and does it. So, yeah. hey, Suki, open up a history in physical on Mrs. Edwards. Yep. Boop, boop, boop. Uh, go ahead and copy the previous history. Okay, change the second paragraph to say this, and it starts to populate. Okay, physical exam. And it starts to go through. Now, that's only the tip of the iceberg, right, as to what Suki might actually do. Right, I mean, I think, I think a couple of different points. First of all, if you really, really internalize the idea that every pixel in your product is in the service of the clinician, then you'll have a completely different point of view on what to build and how to build it. I would actually not spend that much time worrying about, yes, it matters what the administrator thinks, what the CMIO thinks, what the CIO thinks, all with due respect matters, but what would matter in the product would be what makes the doctor's life easiest, 
what will allow them to imbue their professionalism in the notes that they actually create in the best way possible right mm-hmm. so now if you actually are thinking about it from that perspective you're sitting with a patient the best best use of a product like suki should be suki pay attention and then i talk to the patient have a conversation make sure that it's regular intervals i can say hey suki prescribe this thing x milligrams or y week suki make sure the person comes for a follow up visit suki will automatically or should ideally be automatically be able to do all what you call the skunk work for you that's the aspiration that's what we're trying to build i think uh, our, our head of product says this regularly she says and she's a trauma surgeon and that's another conversation to have on how we have physicians in in functional roles in our company yeah. she says this the idea is can we build a a resident uh, somebody who actually can not resident just from a clinical perspective but from the perspective of all the skunk work you guys make residents do so that we can focus on doing what you really love doing which is taking care of patients it, you know it's so funny because um you use the term skunk work yeah. we we actually call it scut work <laughs> okay. but it but actually what it really is yeah is a kind of a skunk work. Yeah. It's like this in work embedded within work that has no meaning for us. So 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 I want to unpack some of what yeah. you're saying cuz so there's so much there and this is why I got excited when you guys agreed to be on the show. This idea that you can actually take off our plate the stuff that a resident might normally do. So mm-hmm. for example, my best I like to think of my best days at Stanford when I was a hospitalist. The best possible day. The best day was when I had an incredible team of residents yeah. who could read my mind practically and would write these great notes that expressed ultimately what my uh, ideas were but mm-hmm. also th- with their own filter. Mm-hmm. They were not artificially intelligent, mm-hmm. they were humanly intelligent mm-hmm. and they would do all that work. They would handle a lot of the scut work and then what would happen is I would be free to think about the patient. to have compassion to feel love in the face of their suffering yes. to hold their hand in the room to spend time to get on the phone and talk to their daughter who no one had called because everyone's too busy yeah and that and then you had mentioned this big team of people right so yeah. you have the social worker case manager all these guys they are all part of this team everybody practicing at the top of their training supporting each other in service of the patient while supporting each other and the busy work is gone it's invisible yeah. there's like yeah. an invisible assistant yeah that was my best day now if something like suki can replace that first with simple voice recognition and you know you talk think about the nuances and you think about you know the the organizations that do voice rec but this is even like you're saying aspirationally one step beyond to start to predict hey suki could you chart out every c reactive protein on mr jones for the past 4 months and see it there right away and then suki can you compare that and 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 not only, so it it's it's a kind of um what we used to call a peripheral brain yeah. in healthcare yeah. is that where you see it yeah going? see the thing is uh, all of these things are possible if a couple of different things are met first you have to have access to data second you have to have permission to be in the exam room permission is very important The problem is most of the products that are built are built without the clinician in mind and after a while the clinician uses it because either they are forced to use it or because there's a regulatory reason you have to use it but these are super strong minded professional folks having giving them something that immediately on day one if you use suki day one i promise you you get 50 to 70% of your time spent on this clinical administrative work back right so if if 
if we can promise you that, you will give us permission to be in the room. Now, if you give us permission to be there, then you will actually use it to create initially these notes. These notes actually are 80 to 90% of all data created in healthcare. So if you actually have access to them in structured formats, you can then go from saying, hey, copy the history to saying something like, hey, plot A1C levels over the last three months to saying, hey, give me some sense of what kind of things I should think about when I'm actually looking at a particular patient. There's a lot of variety of things we can do, but first we need to have permission and we need to solve something that's real. And today that's basically this burnout issue of uh, documentation. So this is interesting because the getting that permission, it's actually a sacred thing yeah. because you're entering a space that is clinicians consider sacred. Yeah. It has been violated time and time again by bad technology, by intrusion, bureaucratic intrusion. And they, the way that manifests, you know, it's been called burnout. The way I think we can think about it is a moral injury. So we know that the space is sacred where we are with our patients when they're most vulnerable and they let us be with them. And we've let in this interloper yeah. that feels like it doesn't have anything to do with patient care. Right. Now the difference, what got me really fired up about what you're doing is when I looked at your demo, yeah. I started getting goosebumps because I was like, oh my gosh, I would invite that into the room right? because that is helping me in yes. a way, and it, and it has a name, Suki, uh, do this. Yeah. It, it humanizes it immediately. So even if the patient overhears you doing this, you go, my assistant's name Suki, I'm gonna go ahead and you know, let it know about what right. we need to do to, so right. that I can continue to look at you in the eye. Right. Uh, it, it was, if you're talking about moral injury, like that's a way to overcome it because now I have what Jonathan Bush and yeah. you know you used to call the the sort of the tools. He calls it capability. You, it's a business term, but applied to healthcare, it means you're giving clinicians the tools, the autonomy, and the resources to do what they know is best for the patient. And when yes. they do that, all the data seems to show you have happier clinicians, better, more profitable organizations yes. and better outcomes for patients better outcomes for patients i think i think you can i think clinical bur clinician burnout is probably the biggest public health crisis that we don't talk about that's probably I'm, not mean i'm just going to clap right. for that it's true because it's no, true nobody in industry is saying that but it is true yeah. and actually it's interesting because we are at this amazing time in in history here that for a change when i actually walk up to health systems and say you know what i think we can actually help solve clinical burnout clinician burnout they say yeah that seems interesting we care about the doctor so they pay lip service but for a change they not only pay lip service they're willing to pay for it wow. and so we are at this magical moment where lip service and actual money can actually connect so there's a chance that products and companies like that can build the other point I'll make is, I think this idea of an assistant that you mentioned, this is very critical. One of the things that a lot of people talk to me about is, oh, so you're building something that's gonna one day replace the doctor. No, we are not in the job of actually figuring out or replacing a clinician. Our job is to be an assistant. And there's an interesting anecdote I wanna throw at you. When Kasparov first lost to Deep Blue, the IBM thing, right? Um, it's a big deal. Everyone predicted the end of humanity. They right. said, they said you're going to have no, there's no chess players. What's the point of chess? Like the, the machines beat the human being. It's over. There's no chess players anymore. Mm. So he said something interesting. He said, sure, you know, I got beat by a machine. You know, what machines do very well is they don't make mistakes. Mm. What humans do very well is they're creative. They have empathy. They connect. So yes, a machine could beat me, but give me a machine 
and I'll beat every human and every machine in the world. Oh, that's amazing. So that's what we want to do. We want to actually give clinicians an assistant, doctors an assistant, such that they can do the job they do as best as they've ever done in their life with empathy and love and, and, and joy. And, uh, and I think if you have that motivation, then the conversation around how do we integrate with EMRs, how do we make sure the regulatory stuff is done, how do we actually work through the health systems to actually get in, very important, but they become things that you have to just overcome. What really matters is what does the clinician feel when they walk in? Could they get out in time? Could they actually see that one or two patients more that they may want to see? I mean, could they go back and play soccer with their kids? Could they actually do the practice of medicine in the most beautiful and professional way that they chose to do when they started this journey? And that's genuinely the reason we built this company. Everything else will come out of it. That's lovely. That's really lovely. You know, the sense I got from you, just reading about you online, you don't need to do this. This is something you're doing because you're passionate about it. You were quite successful before at Google and Flipkart, and you know, you're know you a classic example of a Silicon Valley entrepreneur who, again, I think a lot of clinicians would look at with suspicion and say, well, they always think they can solve our problems. Yeah. But hearing what you just said, and I know you're sincere because we've talked and we've connected yeah. and I've seen what you're doing, this is the great hope for what we call Health 3.0. It, it probably bears a quick yeah, summary because I think it relates to what you're doing. Health 1.0 was our 20th century medicine, right? Yeah. Like my dad, he would sit with the patients, talk. He was a paternalistic authority figure. It was about that authority because patients weren't empowered. They didn't have internet. We didn't have a lot of the science. It was about this relationship. Right. And it was about a sacred sort of trust. But there wasn't a lot of technology. There wasn't a lot of um, process improvement. There's all kinds of care variation yeah. and costs were out of control. So Health 2.0 comes along and we were sold it as, well, the business processes that manage a Google yeah. should also manage healthcare. Yeah. So lean processes, <laughs> Six Sigma, the way you think in engineering. Yeah. The problem was they sucked the relationship out of it and they tooled it towards this idea that we're trying to improve throughput and RVU production and you know standardize all patients according to a randomized control trial that really is aimed at you know Caucasian Europeans mm. and, and so we lost something beautiful and that's what we're seeing now in the moral distress people mm. are struggling in 2.0 what technology can do instead of creating a barrier like generation 1 of EMR and look i I'm, people think I'm some kind of Luddite. I'm the most tech-savvy person yeah. you'll meet. Like, I was programming an assembly language on an Apple IIe in the 80s, and yeah, I begged my dad for- That's better than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to be a Silicon Valley rock star. And, and, but, but the thing is, I want technology that serves the calling and the passion that I've chosen instead of obstructing it. So what you're describing is, and you did it very eloquently, is, is allowing us- the Kasparov thing is amazing because the idea that you give him a computer yeah. with his creativity and knowledge and love, he will do so many amazing things with the help of that computer that was created by humans, by the way, which we yes. forget. Yes. Is that how you think about it? Yes. Now? And you know, I mean, going to your idea of health 3.0, it connects with something else that matters. You said, uh, I don't need to be here. I actually think I have to be here. And I think not just me, a lot of other technologists who have actually done a lot of these things should actually be here. Healthcare, first of all, just pure ambition-wise, the biggest, most interesting healthcare co technology company ever built, tech company ever built, is going to be in healthcare. I agree. It's not happened yet. It may take five years, may take 15 years, but it's going to happen. Now, how will it happen? It'll happen 
when we realize that a bunch of um, this stuff's not going to build by a bunch of people in a garage in Palo Alto. Mm. It's going to actually be built by some of the best technologists in the world, paired up with some of the best clinicians in the world, paired up with some of the best forward-facing health systems in the world. All of these guys coming together. I have a team in which I have clinicians in line functions working on stuff. They're not giving clinical output input. They're actually running business, building product, right? Mm. It's not going to happen. The problem is that people like me used to show up and we are somewhat arrogant and we say, you know what, we can use tech and fix your problems, but we don't have any understanding or empathy for what you do. Right. And then a bunch of doctors will show up and say, anybody can build tech, I'll get a bunch of IT guys and do something. And so you have, you know, relatively crappy software on one end and you have relatively disconnected and non-related product solutions on the other end. Yeah. Health 3.0, in my opinion, one aspect of it has to be companies that actually have clinicians and technologists working hand-to-hand -hand mm. in peer positions with respect and figuring out how to actually together solve this problem. That, that is on the money, and we've advocated for clinician leadership in organizations constantly. In fact, one of the... So it's an interesting relating to that. I'm, I'm legendary for bad-mouthing uh, bad for workflows and user That's interface <laughs> on, on EMR. Over-legendary, to the point where I, I'm pretty sure Epic has called a hit on me a few times. <laughs> and I'm not singling out Epic. It's all, all UX in, in healthcare has been problematic. And what, what frontline IT people will tell me, the people programming this stuff or implementing it is, I understand that. We're sensitive to that. We want it to be good for you guys. However, you're not partners with us. Mm. You're too busy. You're too busy clicking the boxes that we designed mm -hmm. to actually have time to help us do this. Now, that's why when I saw your company, I was looking at the people who were in it. Yeah. You have Aaron from Stanford, Stanford trauma surgeon. Yeah. You have uh, Nathan is a UCSF internal medicine yeah. doc who's here in the room. Yeah. We may get him on at some point. Yeah. And having real clinicians working with you who it's clear you get it, right? Yeah. But you're right. We'd be very suspicious of yeah. you. Uh, it's Shouldn't because be. <laughs> it's because your beard is so dense. I know. Like, how do you make that happen? I can't you know, get it to happen. I try to. We can go on that tangent if you want for some time because beard care obviously is a very important topic to discuss. It really. <laughs> we'll do it at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But 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 um, how how do you manage to recruit and retain physicians to work in something that seems it's very tech based, but it's so connected to ultimately what the passion is. It's pretty hard. Yeah. Um, I I. I think, candidly speaking, uh, building a healthcare tech company, the hardest thing in healthcare tech company is actually figuring out how to work with clinicians and for clinicians how to work with technologists. Mm. Um, there are, um, as customers and users, there is a disconnect. Uh, lack of time obviously is there, but there also, there's a cultural way in which things are operated that you have to get into the mood of to understand or get in the groove of to understand. As colleagues, it's super hard because they come from a, it's kind of like saying, uh, I'm going to take like an army general who's got like 30 years of experience leading armies and I'm going to put them in a startup and actually make them be all funky and cool and ambiguous <laughs> and chill, right? It's the guy's going to kill analogy. himself and shoot somebody else along the way, right? right I mean, the right, problem right. is uh, the biggest challenge in my opinion in, from a f aspect of building a healthcare company is how do you actually work with clinicians and actually understand where they come from and how do they work with you? <laughs> it's only surmounted by the other challenge, which is having the time to thoughtfully observe the workflows of what 
doctors are really doing in their office and realizing which of this actually really needs to be solved and which of it we should be five miles away from it because it's all just administrative BS yeah. that we don't need to be worried about. You can't, yeah. That nuance is actually practically impossible for people like me to figure out and that's where Nate and Erin and Peter and others come in who actually help us. I'm so glad you have real uh, practicing physicians or clinicians or I will say physicians. that my blood pressure is way higher because of these people, but that's a different issue. You know what? <laughs> You've discovered something and that is managing physicians is like herding cats. Uh, it is impossible. They're independent entities. They yes. think that way. They think they're a lot smarter than they are about certain things and they're more smart than they think they are about other things. And <laughs> nurses have known this for years. They know how to massage doctors yeah. so that they actually do the right thing for the patient. But a lot of times it's been very tough. When I was running my clinic, Turntable Health, you know, it, it's it's a tough thing because we're all colleagues too and it's very difficult. We're co colleagues. I mean, now you've given me some ideas. I should go hang out with nurses to learn how to work with clinicians. That's a good idea. You know. <laughs> so much we can learn for nurses. Before the show, you and I were talking about the canaries in the coal mine mm. of healthcare, and that's nurses. Nurses have been using EMR for longer than doctors. They've been slaves to it for much longer. And something like a Suki, which, by the way, you guys can check out at uh, the the link I put in the description. Suki.ai. Suki.ai. Yeah. I yeah. didn't even know that was a domain. AI. I didn't know also, but I found out it is. So when We had to buy it from a, a, a Japanese uh, person <laughs> who said it was a part of their family heritage and would not partake of it. And so I had to spend some time convincing them. But but did, oh, so you sweet talk them into uh, creating the robot apocalypse with their name. <laughs> <laughs> it's important. So, you know, quick nuance on this one. Why is it called Suki? Yeah. You know, it, why is Alexa called Alexa? Or uh, why is Google's assistant not just called Google? There is a reason. So when I was in Google, we used to, when we acquired Motorola, I used to run software there. Yeah. And uh, we built the first always on phone. Uh, a wake word has to have enough consonants and vowels so that it actually uh, doesn't have false positives. It doesn't turn on by itself. And right. so, so Alexa, Cortana, Siri actually works pretty well also. Google actually is not really good wake word, so they put OK in front of it. So OK Google, right? And so Suki is one of the smallest wake words we could find that actually had a pretty high, uh, good like false positive or l low false positive levels. That, so that's why that is a level of nerdiness that yes. I appreciate so deeply. Yes. My parents do too, by the oh way. Oh my, so. of course. <laughs> right now, my dad is like this. Of course, that makes perfect sense. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. You oh. should do a one seek in Suki. Ah, oh, one Suki. <laughs> you know what? I think we just found a sponsor for one seek. You guys are the only company cool enough to sponsor that because everyone else is like, well, is, is is this racist? I don't understand. I'm like, it's all Indians. Don't worry about, about it. Don't worry about it. You're talking about my beard and making you nervous. Think about what effect I have on people when I walk into the plane with my orange jacket on. <laughs> different conversation for a different time. Well, don't worry, because none of the TSA agents are getting paid, so I'm sure you can slip through for the next right couple Right now is a good time to travel. Yeah, now's a good time. I used to make a joke. My uncle's name um, was Rashid Rashid. So his first name was Rashid. Really? Last name was Rashid. Parsi? Because Parsi. Uh, oh. Irani. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I used to joke that um, he would get two cavity searches at the TSA, <laughs> you know, one for each. Rashid. Rashid. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, it, it, it's kind of true. He actually was quite singled out for the name. He ended up changing his last. Actually, his kids ended up changing their last name because it was, they were getting harassed. Yeah, yeah. I, would never, I have many stories to tell on that one. Oh, for another that's time. another. That's yeah. another podcast. Now, speaking of that, so where do you see? Because a lot of people, again, they're nervous about AI. Are you going to replace doctors? You talked about that. No, you can't. You're augmenting. You're assisting. You're empowering physicians. That's what Health 3.0 is. It's saying take technology and enable the human relationship. 
3.0 is repersonalized healthcare. Mm. So we can also then have access to all the data you're collecting by inputting these notes in a form that can then, uh, you know, you can eventually say, hey, Suki, see a pattern in these symptoms. What do you see? Right. And it's like, you know, have you considered, <laughs> yeah. you know, Wegener's granulomatosis? Yeah. No, because it hasn't been on my radar and I have a bias of things I've seen recently and that's a great thought. Let me check up to date. Oh, that's actually, or Suki, pull up up to date. I'm right. Like, yeah. I think the, so first of all, all the examples you gave, I didn't understand because I'm not a doctor. <laughs> uh, but uh, what you said about health through Pano really, really resonates with us because uh, ultimately it's actually about being an assistant to you. It's actually also b about not being intrusive. Mm. I think that's the other thing. There's all these uh, clinical support CDS kind of software that people talk about. I'm sitting with a patient and Suki will then, can it give me insights on what I can do with the patient? I dare not. I think there's a long way to go before we have the permission to actually provide some input to the doctor mm. more than what they have asked us for. Ah. And uh, and the, the, the reason for that is first of all, you have to actually go through a lot of data to actually get these insights out, but you have to also have a lot of context, the right patient, the right person to actually say these things. So I actually think we should be very conservative about this. We should only do it when we really, really are sure that we can actually be useful. And most importantly, the worst thing I can do for you is not only I'm your, I'm your assistant, sure, but now I'm intruding into your into your profession, into the work you're doing by giving you insights where they may not be needed. So we have to, we have to back off. We have to be very, very in there where it comes to being useful in documentation and data extraction and queries. And we have to be very out there where it comes to actual CDS-like stuff for now. I think in about four or five years, there'll be some very interesting things for us to you do. You know, there's like three people on the planet who work at companies who would talk this way who really understand that. Who are the other two because I want to uh, hire them? <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> we'll talk about how you can come work for Suki. Because <laughs> I'm ready to work. I'm ready to quit and work for you. So this is the thing. What you basically described is we have been burned as clinicians with over-aggressive promises of decision support at the point of care. Yeah. So uh, here's a pop-up that reminds you that this Vaseline interacts with the antibiotic you're taking through some esoteric that doesn't it's not real. Yeah. So the false the alert fatigue and the insult yeah. that we feel cuz we're humans our unconscious goes I have been assaulted intellectually by this stupid piece of equipment. Yeah. Whereas you want your piece of equipment to feel smart. Yeah. Like you want it to to humble you a little and go, "Oh, that's a good one." Yeah, Suki, I mean, like, yeah. imagine I'm sitting in my exec meeting with my team and there's a pop-up going next to me saying, hey, have you considered this strategic insight that you should think about in the next decision? I'm going to probably throw that thing out of the room, <laughs> right? I'll be so angry and unhappy with that. Yeah. Now, imagine doing that to somebody who spent 15, 20 years of their life learning how to do this, practicing, going through the probably the hardest set of things you have to do to actually get a degree, right? And then you have a pop-up which says, here's like a... Vaseline that you should consider that may interact with something else. I think it's actually relative, it's quite disrespectful. I think that that's not what you are asking for. What you're really asking for is, I have those Vaseline insights in my head. If you let me, if you stop making me click 50 things and check off certain things and write things while I'm actually talking to the patient, I will remember all the Vaseline insights I need to have. <laughs> so, so I think the, the mistake is, 
the mistake is solving cognitive burden by creating more cognitive burden. Right? Oh, that, see, that, I idea. love that word, that phrase, cognitive burden. That's really what it feels like because we have only so many processor cycles yeah. in our parallel processor yes. that's our mind. And if you overwhelm it with BS, it misses the important stuff. Now, okay, now I'm going to call bull crap for a second. Yeah, because sure. everything you've said has, again, it resonates with me on a very core primal level because first of all, tech people don't talk like this with a few exceptions. Second of all, um, what you're building, and I saw the demo really, I was like, oh, this is a thing. Mm -hmm. Like I felt it. Mm -hmm. And people can go check out the demo at suki.ai. You can also look at, there's jobs and there's all kinds yeah. of stuff. I really want you guys to succeed. Thank I, you. If you succeed, Health 3.0 is much more likely to succeed. But I'm gonna call a little BS and you tell me why I'm wrong. Yeah. Everything you said sounds great. I bet it doesn't work. Hmm. So how are you going to overcome, like Siri pisses me off to no end. I'm like, hey, Siri, do this. And it's like, I think you said kill a hobo. And I'm like, well, yeah, I would like to do that next. But right now I want to do this. <laughs> so how are you actually implementing the technology? Is there something that doctors and clinicians can use now? And yeah. does it work? Yeah. Look, I look, mean, look, look. As I was talking, Siri started... Look and what she says. Do this, and it's like, I think you said kill a hobo. And I'm like, well, yeah. And she's still taking... Did a good job, didn't it? You know what's weird? <laughs> I probably shouldn't put, put... I shouldn't have picked hey, Siri, as my safe word. Mm. It's a very bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry, Siri, I wasn't talking to you. You're disrespecting it right now. Very much but, so. Uh, Please. Uh, the, <laughs> the answer to your question is, it's hard. You know, I could give you a really nice answer which says, oh... It works, guaranteed, no problem, et cetera, et cetera. The answer is, it's hard technology. You have to actually put together a lot of different things together and make sure they seamlessly work with the reliability that is consistent with the kind of perfection that you want in a healthcare system. If I was doing a product that's for a sales call, let's say, a little bit of mistakes here and there, fine, it's okay, we can catch it. Uh, but in healthcare, it's actually not about the tech, it's about that patient and the doctor interaction, right? Um, so we have to spend a lot of time actually making sure we stitch together these things in a way that are consistent, replicable, and reliable. Um, now, the good news is we have there's enough commoditization of voice and machine learning that's happened that a company like me in 18, 18 months flat has a commercial product that people can buy and use. I have paying doctors, independent practices across the country. I have two large health systems, I haven't announced them yet, who are actually piloting us and trying us out. Real doctors using it with patients in the room. You know, we we process about a thousand to two thousand patient encounters a week. You know, and in the time that I spent talking to you, about 40, 50 patient encounters have already been processed. So these are the the good news is they're using it, and nobody's kicking us out and getting frustrated and saying this is horrible. Yeah. The 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 work that has to be done. I won't call it not so good. News, the work that has to be done is we have to scale it. We have to make sure that it's even more efficient, even more reliable. It's not really about just figuring out the mean, the words that you said. The, the fact that you said, I did a normal review system, many commodity voice technology can pick up and say, okay, he said, I did a normal review systems. What I really want is, what is the meaning of the word normal? Review system is a, proce a process, a thought process and a thing that you actually do in, when you actually meet a patient. 
based on the last 1,000 notes that I have actually seen of this doctor, what is a typical review of systems? I'm going to generate that real time. I'll make sure it's normal with all the parameters being there. And when then you say, by the way, except that extremity edema exists and there is a shortness of breath, I should know what to do with that information using natural language parsing. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of work we do. We allow doctors to basically, like we have real doctors who walk out and say, Suki, for that last patient, left knee was normal, right knee was normal, except range of motion was 120 degrees, prepare a cortisone shot. The plan is typically what I do in these situations. Suki, stop, go, go to the next wow. patient. There's a long way to go, yeah. you know, but there's enough tech that exists that doctors with some amount of patience and pain can use us today and still guaranteed say 50 to 70 percent of all time they've spent on documentation in a day guaranteed. already even in an imperfect progress and work of a product can you imagine what will happen in two or three years can you oh. imagine what can happen if we exist for 10 15 years i mean i'll tell you so my wife is a teleradiologist right now and she does a lot of i hear her i'll sit there at the computer and she's working with her three screens tele reading for the east coast here middle of the night there she has these deep relationships with the emergency docs on the other line they all know each other now it's that human connection that is then empowered by her ability to have the little thing and go macronormal brain mm. uh, now that's as simple as it is it's mm. just macronormal brain and it pulls up a macro that she has for normal brain and it said this brain is normal these are the findings now imagine if again like you're saying where suki is going it could be even more than that and you used this word you said invisible somewhere a little mm. earlier so let me give me give me a tangent and throw things at me if actually this doesn't align with your future vision but here's what i think first of all the goal of suki is to to rethink the health stack so that it can become invisible and assistive, okay? Invisible and assistive. It's very important. Okay. Such that clinicians, doctors can do what they love doing, which is taking care of patients. It's great. This is the world I think that the greatest technology company ever built will be in. You walk in, you kind of say, you have an airport going and you say, hey, who are my new patients? It says, here's the list of patients. You say, oh, okay. For that first patient, can you just uh, tell me what the history is? Give me some information. Why did she come here? It gives you a summary. You walk in, you say, oh, you know, I actually need to check up her x-ray. You walk to a screen and you say, pull up the, the last chest x-ray for this person. Brings it up. You say, oh, uh, in findings, document this XYZ information. Then you walk into the exam room. You'd say, hi, Miss Roberts. I'm pleased to meet you. Um, I have all the information. Let's actually have a conversation. Suki, pay attention. Talk, talk, talk. Do everything. The note's actually put together. You say, look at the note. Um, you say, oh, this looks pretty good. Submit to the EMR. Walk out and say, who's my next patient? That's the world that we need to get to. That's invisible. That's assistive. And that, that's where actually the greatest technology company ever built will be in. That that is a vision that I can get behind a thousand percent. Health three point health three with the invisible assistant. The thing is, you're going to put some scribes out of business, though, huh? I think that they should go become medical students and oh, become doctors. That's what I think. <laughs> that's part of the reason they're scribes. Yes. Right. And so this, what you just described, is my best day where the resident is that in, they're visible. The problem is they're annoying millennials. I have to kowtow to their needs. Uh, I have to pretend to care about their education and their hurt feelings and uh, all those things I have to do. Now with this, I wouldn't have- Very undoctor-like things. So, I'm I kidding. Know, I, know. I also am joking. But uh, in fact, what kept me going through a lot of quote unquote burnout yeah. was that team dynamic, yeah. having these residents. And they paired us back at the end to only one intern. And sometimes that intern was a psychiatry intern. So I'm an internist. I've got all these sick, complex internal medicine patients, and I have one new, it's July, psychiatry intern. And you know what was amazing? They were on fire. 
So even though they didn't, this wasn't what they were going to do with their lives. Yeah. They cared so much about the patients that they put everything into it. Now, uh. if you can, if you can replicate that fire in this thing and allow then the emergence of this, you know, these rays of compassion from the clinician because they're free to do that. That's a magical, beautiful, wonderful yeah, thing. Yeah, and it can only happen if we actually are of some use to the clinician, so. We'll yeah, that's it. Well, so Danny Coach here, who's a supporter of the show, she subscribes for four ninety nine a month and therefore I owe her this read. Okay. And also it's amazing. This guy has a really great attitude about developing something that can help in the future. And to admit technology isn't perfect takes courage from someone who makes their money in getting people to use technology. Mm. And again, I think it relates back to, I don't think you need to do this. You have to do this, a mission for you. And I got that the minute I talked to you and your team. So it's really exciting what you're doing. And this is the part of our goal in our show is to yeah. highlight these bright spots in the emergence of health 3.0. Like you said, I think the biggest most successful tech company ever is going to emerge in healthcare. Yes. Because that's where the unmet need is. Yes. It just yes. has not even been met. Yes. And yeah. I think I think that it will actually not be a tech company and it will not be a healthcare company. It'll be something else. Something totally different. You know, and uh, it'll have leaders from both functionalities and areas. It'll have uh, a thought process that will be quite unique. Mm. Uh, it'll not be a Google it'll not necessarily be a pure play healthcare setup also. Mm. Um, so I don't know what that will look like. I think uh, to the point that Danny was making, I think there's a lot of people who make money by getting you to use technology. So that's actually a very low bar right now. Yeah. I think what matters is if we can actually get you to use technology that you love, yeah. which is a very high bar. Yeah, now Kay Moody, who's an emergency physician, a friend of mine, she wrote in, I could see so many more patients if I'm not clicking the computer the whole time, thank you. Now, so for her, safe throughput in the emergency department is a key thing. Yeah, it's also very interesting and hard because um, you have very little context, right? Mm. Um, so now you have very little context and you have all these people coming in with issues. Many of them could actually be replicable in common so you can get some patterns out of it. But uh, that area has been a very interesting area for us because unlike you know a, a typical subsurgical specialty or a PCP, there's some history of mm. the patient and context. Emergency rooms, emergency rooms are interesting. The other issue sometimes with that area is noise. Yeah. Uh, you know, people going in and out doing things. Voice products actually, as as more and more ambient uh, technologies come in, more and more you know noise cancellation and noise beam directional uh, tech comes in. Voice products will get better and better at this, and slowly and slowly, hopefully, in urgent care and emergency rooms also, you will start seeing these things work out. Melody Carpenter asks, Mr. Sony, do you need developers? Yes, I need developers. In fact, the only reason I'm talking to you right now is because I need. <laughs> I I'm, knew there was an ulterior motive. Forget <laughs> think, about the product. You need more I, I think that we need we need developers, machine learning experts, backend engineers, designers. We actually need clinicians, doctors of all stripes and shades. You know. You know. So let me ask a question. Yeah. Is it okay if we bring um, Nathan Gunn on? Yes, of course. Yeah. You know. He, I, I want, first of all, I want to thank you, uh, Puneet, because you are one of those rare luminaries in a tech space that inspires a clinician like me, where I'm thinking, this is going to be part of the future. I want to help any way I can. I want to shine a light on this. I want the viewers to share this and tell other people about what's going on. And even if it's not your product that ultimately succeeds, this idea is so important. What you described, that ideal world, oh. I think that's the point. And you know, nature come in and talk a little bit more, but that's the point. 
Um, first of all, thank you for this forum because I know you actually have a very significant voice in the, in, in the medical community. This, somebody will win here. Okay, somebody will win here. I am pretty confident that we will be those people, but I actually want somebody to win. This is an area that needs it. And I think what you're doing, the Health 3.0 initiative, uh, support for products like Suki, um, all your supporters who are actually thinking about interesting ways to get us developers all matter. But most importantly, what matters is let's get the clinicians and technologists to like get together. I love it. I okay? love it. Nate, Thank why don't you join us? Nate Dog. Okay, so guys, I wanted, I wanted to have Nate come in because we were talking. <clears throat> Nate came along with uh, Puneet uh, uh, to the show today, and he and I talked, and immediately we're like, uh, yeah, we all have the same best friends. We're one degree of separation from each other. And my first question, so Nathan Gunn is an internal medicine doctor trained at UCSF, my alma mater. Nathan, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. I'm going to ask you this question after meeting you. Why did you sell out to the dark side and become the chief operations officer for, uh, for Suki? Why isn't your finger in someone's butt? As my dad would say, you know, what you are doing isn't going to put naan on the table. Okay, buddy? So tell me why. Why? So I... No, why? <laughs> <laughs> First of all, I want to say that Puni didn't even know who you were six months ago. This is the long-time fan. Oh, see... Aaron Palm also. Oh, Aaron Palm. See, the clinicians are always my agents yeah. of destruction. Yeah. Thank you. No, I've been around long enough that I don't know if I like the, the new stuff. The old stuff is the good stuff. You know what? I'm kind of with you, but I yeah. can't admit it. Everything after the Taken spoof is. <sighs> no, no one understands the pen. Give me, yeah, the pen is yeah. so important yeah. as a as an internal medicine doc. You did yeah. some hospitalist work as well. I did. I did yeah, 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 yeah. So you know the pain. I know the pain. The pain of the pain. Yeah. yeah. So please. So yes, yeah, so I uh, was was kind of halfway through residency and just had this vivid recollection of dealing with utilization management. Oh, UM. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, being a bit contrary, and I said. Uh, and my father was uh, like yours. He's a, a small town doc, very respected, uh, uh, prestigious role. Uh, everyone knew him. Uh, everyone knew me because of him uh, growing up. And my experience was quite different from that. And so there was a little bit um, uh, during residency for me, which is what what what's happened here. Yeah. And I had the same I thing. Yeah. And yeah. I did. I didn't. I didn't understand it. No one that I was uh, in school with or residency understood it. And so I said, I want to understand the forces that are that are shaping my environment and my day, and I kind of want to fight back and change stuff. Uh, and so I went uh, after residency and uh, consulting to learn about business. It was kind of like getting a, an MBA. So like McKinsey sort of yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah. McKinsey. Um, and uh, spent spent four years there and learned a lot about healthcare and have been uh, on the, the business side of things, but everything that I've done since then has been in the service of physicians, making them successful uh, in the context of uh, arrangements they're getting from the health plan, in the context of uh, taking care of patients, et, et cetera. So it's been uh, something where I've maintained closeness to the provider side of things without without practicing, and I think fighting the fighting the good fight, if you will. And so this uh, company and this vision, you heard Puneet talk about it, uh, was instantly attractive. The technology is cool. The amount of impact that it can have is uh, very visceral. Uh, and very real. You know, everyone has an iPhone, and then you you go into the clinic and you get you get Windows 2000. I, I, so, yeah. I always yeah. say it's like one of those car phones from the 90s. Yeah, yeah. like you know, where they like stuck in the car. Did your dad have one of those? No, he didn't. My dad had. He's one. a GP. He didn't have this fancy. So stuff So is my dad. Yeah. But my dad's Indian, yeah. so it's always about showing off. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you know, all the Punjabi docs, they all have you know the cardiologist has the car phone. Yeah. So I had to get one to keep up, you know. Mm. And now look, it's so expensive. It's ten dollars <laughs> a minute, and it doesn't work. Anyway, so so. It, but speaking of which, though, yeah. is your dad? How's your dad feel about what you're doing? Because you, you're not doing full-time clinical and you're trying to grow this business and you're passionate about it and you've trained in it. 
but but how does your dad feel about it? He's very supportive. He was uh, unlike the Indian father. He was probably pretty supportive no matter what I did. That's it, it good. Didn't, it didn't have to be medicine, and so <sighs> so. But uh, the I think the the concept, no matter who you talk to, is uh, um, energizing and and very cool. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's it like? So for people who kind of maybe want to work at Suki in yeah. the future, you're, I know recruiting is always yeah. a challenge. Yeah. What, what's the environment like there? What's the culture like? It's good. It's, it's unique. So as, as Pranita alluded, uh, alluded to, and this has been my experience as well, you either get uh, motivated, uh, bright physicians that have trouble attracting the tech talent, mm. uh, or you've got uh, uh, cutting edge technology that's not uh, informed by the realities of healthcare. And it's right. a little bit disconnected and, and a little bit cocky. Uh, I can name a few companies, yeah. but I won't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're, Silicon they're like Valley that, so. alums. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and neither of those have, have produced um, um, the impact. Real that value. Works, yeah, the real value. Real yeah. value. So yeah. we've, we've done a good job of doing uh, both at the, at the company. I think there's a really uh, large degree in uh, uh, Puneet drives us of humility on the tech side in yeah. terms of trying empathy and humility and trying to understand this. Uh, but then also just know how, how do you build a consumer-grade product. And so we, you know, we really want Suki to be like an iPhone. No one has to teach you how to use an iPhone. Yeah. It's just that intuitive. A kid could do yeah, it. Yeah, a kid yeah. could do it. And so that, that, uh, that level of design mm. uh, and technology is incredibly hard. You only, it's, you only notice it when it's that difficult, uh, uh, or you can only produce something that you don't notice if you've put that much effort into it. So, you know, and a lot of nurses are writing in saying we need this in the nursing community yeah, as well. Yeah. It takes seventy-six clicks to document one assessment. Yeah. Nurses need this. Anna Pride, Lisa Jabot, Naper. Did you say I pronounced that? That's I'm good. so That's good, good That's Nate Dog. You got to understand. Does That's anyone good. call I'm you impressed. Nate Dog? Yeah. No, of course, yeah, of course they do. It's a tech company, Silicon Valley. Yeah. Let, let me ask a question. I'm just curious as a doc. Do you see this uh, having a role in the OR? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, oh, it's beautiful. It's, it's hands-free. Right. It's a, so, yeah. It's actually, so, you it's, have, so, so like the anesthesiologist has the phone out and you're, you guys are asking Suki to, no, to. No, no, put it on a screen. Ah, okay. So Suki runs in a web browser. So the, the, the mobile is the easiest form factor. There's no reason this can't be on a screen in the OR and you're talking to you and saying, pull up that film, you know, show me this history. Or if you've got a complicated surgery where it's not. Uh, the same thing every time, uh, and you want document as you go. Why not? As opposed to spending thirty minutes after a four-hour surgery doing it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So you can do right. that whole thing that surgeons do, where they talk in the third person. So it's like uh, the <laughs> omentum was uh, opened and the appendix was visualized. Exactly. You know my speculation on why they do that. No, yeah. it's probably wrong, but I love it because yeah. like, it feels right. Yeah. Uh, they they step one step out of culpability for any mistakes yeah, yeah, yeah. by by speaking in this very objective third party. You know, yeah. well, I didn't do anything. The self is an illusion, bro. The omentum was opened and the aorta was nicked, all right? It just happened, okay? There was no I there. I mean, even the Buddhists know I is an illusion, but that's not- That's why the notes are so brief. <laughs> no, I have to go back to the office and face Aaron, so I can't make too much fun of so, surgery. So what's Aaron's last name? Palm. Aaron Palm Dr. is Aaron a Palm. Stanford surgeon. She is. And how, so how did she get involved in all this? Uh, so we connected with Puneet and Karthik. Uh, one of our early investors brought the, brought the team together. Yeah. Uh, they liked the idea also, and they said, well, you need some 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 doctors. And so that was the connection. I love it. So yeah. she's just she's probably owning the whole OR product uh, use thing. Well, we uh, she owns the whole product in Got general. It. She runs the product. And so this is actually an important point that mm. uh, Puneet made. Literally, the head of product is a physician, practicing physician. And, and I'm going to say this, a yeah. woman. Yeah. So female practicing physician, because yeah. people are... Trauma the, surgeon. Trauma surgeon. So which, she's which, all, which we can both admit is okay. kind of cooler than it's internal medicine. Kind of badass. I'll it's tell you, shh, so here's the thing. You're an internist. Yeah. I'm an internist. Yeah. Let's be honest in front of 200 people right yeah. now. We don't do anything, Okay. 
my procedure. No, we do stuff that 20 years from now may give you 5% better chance of not having something happen. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So our procedure, I've always said, mm -hmm. is the note. So mm -hmm. I write a note, mm -hmm. and then I write a procedure note <laughs> for the, about for the note. The note. Yeah, yeah. You know, pen was laid to paper at yeah. approximately 314. Uh, white out complication samples. of uh, ink running out had ink running out yeah, yeah. please send the medical records yeah. thank you end of procedure note dictation yeah. uh anyway so so having a having a clinician run the product yeah. is a key component of this. yeah 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 it's critical yeah it's critical yeah yeah, yeah. that <laughs> physician the um it just kind of comes back to the point of bringing tech and and clinical together yeah. i love it man yeah. anything else you want to tell these peeps no i mean so the um the uh, one, one thing on the on the, the product side, so Puneet's right, and, and you know this, which is if you put a product into the clinical setting that doesn't work or adds one more microsecond to that physician's day, you're not going to be successful. You're not going to be successful. You're not going to be allowed uh, in that room. So from a very early point, and it's kind of like you know your your kid going to kindergarten for the first day, and you're kind of worried about it, and are they ready, et cetera. We've had the the product in a clinical setting. Mm. Uh, getting that feedback, et cetera. So everything that we do about it is, is iterative. You know, Aaron obviously runs uh, a product, as we said, but this, this notion of clinical feedback, it has to work in the clinical setting. It's about more than the tech. It's about the design and the mm. physician interaction are very, uh, uh, very much a part of the fabric of the company and the product. So yeah. I yeah. love it, man. Yeah. I really love what you guys are doing. Like, Thank you. I, it's Thank you. inspiring. And, yeah. and I think uh, people who are interested, so our kind of call to action is go to suki.ai, yep. learn yep. about this thing. Um, you can try a demo. Yeah. You can look at jobs that are available, and I want you guys to succeed. I think you're Thank an you. example of what 3.0 uh, can look like from a tech side when yeah. clinicians and tech people and entrepreneurs and smart people like Puneet, who also seem to really emotionally get it, mm. which is unusual yeah. in yeah. the generally you know, uh, um, Silicon Valley culture. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I agree. So that, that actually means more than a lot of other things to me because it means with the emotional connection is an understanding and a compassion and empathy for what we do as, yeah. as doctors. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So Thank Nate, you for having us. Yeah. Nate Dog, it's a real pleasure. Call to action, guys. Go to suki.ai. Hit share on this thing. If you love what we do, become a supporter on Facebook. If you're a podcast listener, and I know you're there, you can't see me right now, so I'm making faces at you. Do me a favor. Subscribe and review on iTunes. It helps us a lot so we can beat that punk Neil deGrasse Tyson at his own game. You want star talk? Okay, I'm a star, and we're talking right now. All right, guys, I love you. Thanks, Nate Dog. Thank Thanks you. to Puneet, Sony. Thanks to Suki, and we out. Hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. <laughs> and so at this point, I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. It, it just really helps the algorithm to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I want to hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters. 
and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, how we're waking up. So, and that that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st- really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.